Welcome to episode number six of Talking Mopars. On today's show, we're going to keep it light and fun. So all we have for today is Project Car of the Week and a bunch of listener stories. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome back to Talking Mopars. This is episode number six. As 2019 comes to a close, I can't express how much I am looking forward to 2020 and what's in store for this podcast. What's in store for this podcast, you ask? Listen, the show is off to a great start. We're only six episodes in, and I've been receiving a bunch of great feedback from listeners and from friends and family, and this has been a blast. But I want to spice up the show a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to add two new additions to the show in the new year. And the new additions are going to be Direct Connections and High Performance Heritage. So these two standalone editions of the show are going to be separate from the typical show format. So Direct Connections are going to be conversations with Mopar enthusiasts. Some you may already know and some you may not. The idea behind this edition of the show is to get to know people in the Mopar community and hear their stories. This show has always had a foundation of Mopar enthusiasm, and I want to keep that same spirit when I talk to guests on this show. Okay? The next edition of the show is High Performance Heritage. These editions of the show are going to be special looks at specific Mopars from Mopar history. So we're going to take a car or a truck or a van. And we're going to have a whole episode about that specific vehicle. And these are going to be fun breaks from the normal format of the show. And who knows, you might just learn something. So those are two new things to look forward to in 2020. And I'm really pumped to keep the show going and to continue to make it better and really develop it into something that can be embraced by the Mopar community as a whole. I really want this show to be remembered in Mopar history as the best Mopar podcast that ever existed. So hopefully I can keep that going, and I need your help. How do I need your help? I need you to keep listening, I need you to tell your friends about the show, and I need you to submit your stories. This show has an open-door policy for Mopar enthusiasts. So if you feel like you have a great story or you'd be a great guest for this show, reach out to me and let's talk. This week's Project Car of the Week is... I think a good buy, because you can get into it for cheap, and the best part is you can drive it. Let me just say before we get into the ad that there is one thing that the seller puts in the ad that annoys me so much, I can't even explain it, but let's get through the ad and then we'll talk about it, okay? So here's the ad. 1971 Dodge Dart Swinger, 2700. 318 V8 Automatic, Barn Fine slash Field Fine. Dart runs, drives, and stops. Clean title. I picked this up in western Nebraska. Very little rust. No rust underneath or in the trunk. Rally wheels with brand new tires on it. Make me an offer. $2,700 or best offer. Call or text only, please. Jared. This car is especially cool because it is EL5 Butterscotch. So not only does this car run, drive, and stop, 
and have a clean title, but it is also a high-impact color. Now, judging by the pictures, it looks like the car at one point had a white vinyl top, and that has been confirmed through the fender tag. It does have a fender tag on it. The picture's upside down, which is super annoying, but you can flip it around and take a look at the fender tag. It's actually a pretty low option car, but it's still cool that it's a V8 car and it's in a somewhat rare color, and it technically is a high impact color, so that's very cool. This car would be a perfect candidate for somebody who wanted to take a car and customize it to their own liking and not necessarily go with an OE resto on it because, hey, it's a it's a base model swinger. You know, it's a V8 car, so that's great. And you're already one step ahead of the game because it runs, drives, and stops. Now, there is some body damage on this thing. It looks like this thing got dropped out of the parts catalog tree and hit every branch on the way down. This thing is bumped and bruised, but it's still pretty solid. Uh, I think this would be a cool driver car. I say throw it on some mag wheels and, you know, maybe hop up the 318 or just throw in a 360 or heck, big block swap it. Why not? It's just a base model swinger. You know, it is a cool color. That, I will give it. It used to have a white vinyl top on it. I, there's no real pictures of the interior, so I can't speak on that too much, but I'd imagine that it needs some work. You know, the whole car needs a little bit of work, but it does run, drive, and stop. That's awesome. Now, here's my biggest problem with the ad. Barn find slash field find. How can it be a barn find and a field find at the same time, dude? It was either found in a barn or found in a field. Now. Are you getting a little too technical with me because maybe the barn that the car was found in was in a field? I don't know. All I know is I hate it when people use those terms to try to sell a car. Who cares? Who really cares? Just because a car was found in a barn does not add any value to it. And I think somewhere along the line, people thought that if you write barn find, that that adds money to the value of a car, and it doesn't. If somebody can prove me wrong on that, please go ahead and do so. But I don't think finding a car in a barn is any more profitable than finding it in a carport. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was the only thing that really bothered me about the ad. Other than that, $2,700 are best to offer for a car that runs and drives that you can tinker with. You know, build a motor, throw it in, have some fun with. You know, is it the prettiest thing on the block? Probably not. But that's okay. Because as you all know, I'm not the big proponent of having something that pretty, <laughs> unless you got a lot of money to throw around, and I, for one, don't. So I think this is a great value for somebody who doesn't have a bunch of money to throw around, but they want something they can get into, have some fun with. 71 Dodge Dart Swinger, perfect. Perfect candidate. And it sounds like the guy's willing to deal. So where can you go wrong? I don't think you can. EL5 Butterscotch V8 Car, Dart Swinger, baby. Get it. It's time once again for listener stories. This is one of my favorite segments of the show. I love sharing your stories. Keep sending them in. If you're wondering where to send them, you can send them to chris at talkingmopars.com. I respond to every email I get. So without further ado, let's share some stories. This first story is from Jack Johnson. I have a 1969 Roadrunner Survivor I ordered new when I was 19 years old 
and have raced a number of Mopar-powered cars over the years, presently building a 1965 Belvedere AFX car to match race, have owned numerous Mopars over the years. Jack, you're a man of few words, and I appreciate that. It's really cool that you have a car that you ordered when you were 19 years old and have had it ever since. That is really cool. I'd like to see some pictures of this thing. Uh, Anytime I hear a story that's legitimate about a survivor car, I love to see those pictures. So send me some pics. Let me see what that car looks like. That's really cool. Um, The Belvedere building sounds really cool, too. Uh, A lot of people... They don't focus on the, you know, early to mid 60s stuff as much as like the 68 to 72 stuff. I really dig those old drag cars. I think they're really cool. It sounds like you've had a crazy history when it comes to Mopars, and I appreciate that. So if you want to share some pictures of your cars, feel free to do so. If you want to elaborate on any stories, feel free to do so. For talking Mopars, when you send in these stories, they don't have to be long and they don't have to be short. They can be however long or short you want. I'll share whatever you send me as long as it's appropriate for the podcast. So thanks, Jack, for sharing your story. This next story was sent to me from Donald Novotny. Bought our 1984 Dodge Ram new. We got married and went to Florida on our honeymoon in 1986. We had it for 15 years, camped in it, we traded in. So for our 30th anniversary, I told my wife I want to find our truck again. So in 2016, we found it again just a few weeks into the hurt. It still ran, but was heading to the junkyard. So after talking to the owner and checking the VIN, it was ours. After my wife and I showed the owner pics and telling him about our adventures, he gave us the truck, still running the original engine and transmission. All restored and reliving our youth again. Thanks for sharing your story, Donald. I appreciate it. I love these stories about the vehicles that we let get away, and then we end up reuniting with them later. I think those are really fun stories, and I love to hear them. So keep them coming. Keep them coming. I love these stories. Donald, it's really cool that you got the truck back, and it sounds to me like you're going to cherish it for years to come with all the truck shows and stuff that I know you go to. Um, I actually know Donald on a more personal level, and I really like his truck, and I think it's got a great story. So thanks for sending it in, Donald, and I'm glad I got to share it. This next story is from Bobby Gish. In 1978, I sat out to buy my second car, and the two that I had picked out was a 1969 Z28 and a 1969 GTX, both blue in color. My brother and I went to look at the Chevy first, but the person was not home. Went to look at the Plymouth, and as soon as we arrived, the guy's wife was driving it home from shopping. One look at the B5 blue color, her downshifting the four-speed and black vinyl top to match the seats, I was sold kept the car over 30 years, sold it about four years ago, and now had to get another Mopar. So I found a 67 GTX all-numbers car, white with copper interior. That's my story. Thanks, Bobby Gish. Thanks for sharing your story, Bobby. So it sounds like you found the perfect replacement for your 69 GTX with a 67 that's all-numbers, white with copper interior. That's very cool. Um, Send me some pictures. I want to see it. Something tells me in those 30 years, you have some pretty good stories. So maybe you want to think about that and send me some more. This next story is from Tony Morgan. Good morning, Chris. The story of my RT goes like this. In the fall of 1999, I was working with a younger guy installing commercial fire alarm systems. 
As things go, we talked about a lot of varied topics, but as is typical with me, it always comes around to cars. At some point, he starts telling me about his uncle who has an old Dodge in his driveway with some weird scoop on the hood. He tells me it has been sitting for years and doesn't run. I asked if he could check into it for me. In my mind, I imagined that possibly it could be some super rare A12 option Coronet Super B. Time goes by, and one day I ask if he ever found anything out about the old Dodge. He tells me he has to move, and I think he had it hauled off and crushed. My heart sank into my stomach, and I asked if he could call and find out. He called his mom and got his uncle's phone number. I called and told him who I was and asked about the car. He told me he was looking in the yellow pages right then to find someone to haul it off. I asked him if I could come right now to see it. He said that would be fine. I got the address, and since it was only 15 minutes from where we were, we took an early lunch. We pulled up a dirt road to a yard of old trailers, overgrown bushes, and garbage. At first, I didn't see the car, but when I looked closer at a huge blackberry bush, there in the middle was what appeared to be a 1967 Coronet RT. Now my heart jumped out of my stomach and started really racing. I knew time was short, so I skipped the whole not-acting-too-excited routine and asked how much. Mind you, the engine was gone, the trunk was ajar, as were the doors, so I was very concerned about rust. Long story short, we finally agreed on $400 for the car, but I had to buy the 1968 HP 440 he had started, which was an additional $700. Deal done. The story behind this was, this guy had owned another 1967 RT, and while going over 120 miles an hour on I-405, he had lost control and flipped that car. He was actually saved by a group of Boy Scouts on their way back from a campout. He had bought this car as a replacement, but what I got out of it by reading between the lines is that this car scared him and he forgot to put antifreeze in the engine and the block cracked. So it was parked in 1985 until I, along with my longtime friends, who are all diehard Ford guys, pulled it out and onto a trailer. I sold my 1967 383 Charger, another weird story, to pay to put this car back together. Turns out being parked in blackberry bushes saved the car as it kept grass and weeds from growing up around it and rusting the car to the ground. My focus was more on getting it running than restoration. This was such a cool car, and I have a lot of stories about it and the people I met because of it. Some of the people are the reason I sold it along with a very bad 2010 where I needed the money to pay for medical bills. If you want more stories, some funny, some annoying, this car provides a lot. Talk to you soon. Hey, Tony, thanks for sharing your story, buddy. Gosh, if only we all could find a $400 Coronet RT in somebody's yard. That would be awesome. Um, These stories are good because I always hear stories about people getting these cars for super cheap. I mean, they, they need a lot of work, sure. It's always cool to say I scored a 67 Coronet RT for 400 bucks. You know, anybody can say, yeah, I went and bought a 67 Coronet RT for 25000 but those killer deals that you get, no matter what shape the car is in, those are always fun to read, fun to hear, and fun to talk about. Gosh, I, I wish I could have gotten my dart for 400 bucks. you know? Um, very cool. Uh, I would love to hear more stories, so either send them in or I'll have you come on the show sometime, Tony, and we can talk about more of your stories. Thank you for sharing. This next story was submitted by Scott A. Schmidt. I gave $50 for my first car to my dad at 15 years old. It is a 1965 Dodge Dart GT. 
I blame my dad for my Mopar addiction because of it. I'm 47 now and still have it. He traded a 71 Roadrunner for the two darts in the top picture. The Roadrunner was a very strong running 383 car. Too much horsepower for a 15-year-old's first car. We called about an advertisement in the local newspaper. The guy said, you should have called about an hour ago. We asked if he still had it. He said, yes. He said, just come take a look. When we opened his garage, there was some chrome ripped off by him using a screwdriver, broken glass everywhere, busted door panels laying on the ground, headliner pieces scattered about, seats on top of the car, miscellaneous pieces thrown all over the place. The dart was stripped down to just the shell and was going to be used in a smash-up derby. The guy said he had another rusty dart also that had all the good glass, chrome, interior, etc. So Dad traded the Roadrunner for the two darts. Thinking I would learn respect for my first car by taking two to make one, great call, Dad, we saved it from certain disaster. However, the next week we went by the guy's house for curiosity's sake, and sure enough, the Roadrunner had met its fate. He used it for the derby instead. It was in his front yard, all smashed up as if it was being proudly displayed. You could say that Dad wasn't very happy. The bottom picture is the dart currently. Originally a 273 auto, now has a 344 speed, 8 and 3 quarter with 355s. I did all the work myself with him leading and guiding me through the whole process. What a great bonding experience this has been, and a great way to spend good quality time with my father. Thanks, Dad, for everything. Love you. Hey, Scott, thanks for sharing your story. I've said it before on other stories. It is awesome when parents get their children involved in cars. It's a great bonding thing, and it teaches kids that with hard work comes reward. In this case, the hard work of building cars, you get to enjoy them. I'm always an advocate for children and cars. Get them involved young. Get them to know some things. That way, not only can they do simple repairs on their cars when they get older, but hey, they might find their way to a career, their way to a fun hobby. The opportunities are endless when you get kids involved in cars young. But you never know where the road to cars is going to lead for a young mind. So that's why I am such a big advocate for kids in cars. Thanks, Scott, for sharing your story. And it really is sad to hear what happened to the Roadrunner. That's unfortunate. Man, it makes you wonder how many were lost like that. How many really cool cars were smashed in a demolition derby? You know, gosh, you don't even you don't even really want to think about it because it's like, okay, this is one story with one Roadrunner. You know how many Roadrunners were made? They probably got in all sorts of derbies. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's a crazy story, but I'm glad that you at least got a dart out of it. This next story is from Jan Wilkerson. Hello, Chris. I thought I would share my story. So when I was a young kid, probably about 10 or 11, my dad had a 1978 Dodge Aspen four-door. It had a 360 police engine. I thought for some reason it was the coolest thing in the world. I think that is what started me on the car thing. I was more into baseball than cars at the time, and I played many years, and my life at that time looked like baseball was my future, not anything to do with cars. But that car did something, and cars were almost as important to me as baseball. Almost. Well, anyway, this is about cars, not baseball. Then my dad decided to sell that car and buy a Chrysler Laser. My heart was crushed. 
That car didn't last long, and he traded it in on a bright red 1988 Dodge Shadow ES Turbo 5-speed. That car was super cool. Well, that same year is when I bought my car. I was currently driving somewhat a Mopar, but not really. It was a 1982 Plymouth Champ. An okay first car, but the car bug was about to bite and bite hard. I was at work at our local Ford dealer, Bob Chapman Ford, and a guy, Dave Lamb, in the body shop drove in the car that changed my life. I was a junior in high school and saw this awesome 1971 Dodge Challenger. I instantly fell in love with the car. The funny thing is the thing that made me really think the car was awesome was the console. Yeah, the console. I know, how crazy, but I just had to have this car. So I sold my champ two days later and convinced my dad that this car was better for me than the Plymouth. He hesitated and hesitated, but I think he thought the car was super cool too, but would never admit it. That was September of 1988 when I bought my first muscle car. The first thing I did to the car was I added the side stripes and restored all the interior. Still has the same interior to this day except the carpet. So this was the start of an obsession and babying this car for the next 30 years. There has been so many stories involving the Challenger, from cruising around with the love of my life, Jenny Gasson, even though she never knew that at the time. Her and I were great friends, and I had such a crush, and she had no idea. Life got in the way, and we didn't see each other again. Another story is the car was in a building that caught fire about seven or so years later. All the cars in the building, including the building, were completely destroyed. But somehow, some way, the Challenger didn't even get a scratch on it. During the fire, the firefighters saw the car, and while the place was on fire, they pushed the car out. There was another crazy thing that happened. I found a 1967 Mustang that I thought was super cool, and the guy that owned it loved my Challenger, so we decided to do a trade. I know. Why, right? So the deal was done. I was to meet him the next day, so I had everything ready and was about to leave. I called him. His son answered and said he had bad news. His father had passed away that morning. I was shocked. So like I said, so many crazy stories. Another time I lost control in the car and went off the road and came within two inches from hitting a pole. Once again, not a single scratch. I did have so many fun times in this car also. There are so many more stories that will make your head spin. But probably the story that touches me the most is that after 25 years of not seeing or even talking to Jenny, the love of my life, she messaged me on Facebook because she saw a picture of the Challenger and asked, is that the car we cruised around when we were kids? I was shocked that she not only contacted me, but remembered the car. That was why I can say the car brought me to the love of my life again. We are currently engaged and have been together for the past five years. So if you want to hear more, I have owned this car almost 32 years, and I have several other Mopars, including a Shelby Dodge CSX prototype owned by Carroll Shelby himself. So please contact me. Thank you, Jan Wilkerson. P.S. Sorry it was so long and may run on, but thought you may like some of my stories. Jan, you were absolutely right. I love your stories. I think they're awesome. Um, It's good to see that not only do you have some muscle car in there, but you also have some of the turbo Mopar stuff that I really enjoy as well. Um, I'm a really big fan of turbo Mopars and any of the eighties Mopars I think are pretty cool and they deserve respect in their own right. Um, alongside the muscle cars. So I, 
I've said it before, I don't discriminate when it comes to Mopars. I love them all. So your story was really awesome, Jan. I really enjoyed reading it. It is amazing that, you know, some people, they have the cars that get away and they end up reuniting with those cars several years later. In your case, you had a human that you, you know, lost contact with and ended up reuniting with several years down the road. You know, 25 years is a long time. You know, after 25 years of not seeing each other, the car brought you back together. That is a great story. I love hearing stories like that. How fun. Congrats to you, Jan, and your future wife, Jenny. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode of Talking Mopars. I hope you enjoyed those stories. I always enjoy them, and I want to keep hearing them. So please, send your stories to me. You can reach me at chris at talkingmopars.com. Speaking of talkingmopars.com, go there. Check it out. You can find all sorts of fun stuff. I'm actually going to be putting show notes on the website. So if you have any questions about a specific episode or you want to get links that I mention um, or see pictures, those are going to be on the show notes on the website under episodes. So just remember talkingmopars.com. For social media, you can find me on Facebook at the Mopar Hunter and on Instagram at the.mopar.hunter. Either one of those social media platforms, you can also find Talking Mopars at Talking Mopars. So be sure to follow. I'm also looking for suggestions on who I should have on the Direct Connections episodes. So who do you want to hear me have a conversation with? Let me know by reaching out to me. Who do you want to hear me talk Mopars with? I'm always looking for guest ideas or even show topics. So email me all that fun stuff, and we'll see you next time right here on the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.